Symphony Fellowships podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen. You confident in your God this afternoon? Confident in His love and in His goodness is care for you it's concern for you amen um, as we get ready to enter into the word this morning uh, please don't forget um, those in Ohio and El Paso who were greatly affected by just an, an awesome act of evil that took place last night and this morning. Um, so just praying for all of those families who are affected, um, loved ones that woke up yesterday and didn't realize it would be their last day. Uh, so we just want to make sure that our minds, our hearts, our prayers are with them, that the Spirit of God would comfort them um, through just such a, such a difficult time. So why don't you stand with me, if you will. Uh, meet me in Romans chapter 8 beginning at verse 12. Romans, the eighth chapter, beginning at verse 12. I'm going to read it for you here in this afternoon. Amen. Amen. Here's the word of the Lord. It says this. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all of those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. If I can speak from the title this afternoon, I know who my daddy is, do you know yours? Let us pray. Father, we're, we're grateful for the privilege that we have to open your word. Grateful that we woke up this morning in the land of the living, but it was not so for many people last night. And so God, we are praying your mercy and your care over those communities, over those families who were tragically affected. God, we pray that your spirit would comfort, bring care to, bring healing to just the immense brokenness that has taken place. For we know you to be a God of comfort. We know you to be a God of care. And for those that know you, God, we have an assurance that uh, then when we die, no matter when that time is, that we will wake up with you in paradise. And so, God, for, for all that we can pray, God, we are praying that you, your spirit, somehow, some way, would make the gospel real for these individuals who have been affected if they don't know you, that somehow through all of this chaos, they get to hear the comforting word, the hopeful word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that they can be assured 
that when their time has come, that they will go to a place of peace and everlasting joy because we will be with you in your presence. Be with us this day as we open your word. Change us and transform us by it that we might never be the same again. God, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 You may be seated. I know who my daddy is. Do you know yours? There's a a man named Maury Povich. Some of you may have heard of him. who has a show under the same name, The Maury Show, it's an afternoon talk show that he's been hosting for uh, about 28 years. Uh, And on his show, uh, they they host it in front of a live studio audience and it deals with topics that you would think are uh, very private in nature and should be somewhat sensitive and kept behind closed doors. But over the years, Maury and his show have become more famous because of a particular segment on the show uh, where they are trying to prove whether a child is the product of a relationship between two, sometimes more, individuals. And because there's so many people involved oftentimes with trying to prove who the child belongs to, the circumstances are always clouded and the culprit for why there's a lack of certainty. And sometimes they'll put the picture of the child up on the screen next to the picture of the prospective parent and, you know, the live audience goes oohs and ahs because that's what we do when we see a cute kid on the screen. But how many of you know that looks don't guarantee relationship? That looks, just because you look like somebody, doesn't mean that you're related to them. So for this show, they have to get more personal, more specific by doing DNA testing and matching genes to determine the likelihood of the relationship between prospective parent and child. But all I'm really trying to tell you today is just because somebody looks like they belong to God, just because somebody sounds like they've spent a lot of time around him, just because somebody has dressed up and stood on a corner and shouted Bible verses out of context doesn't mean that they belong to God. See, Paul tries to let us know here in this passage that belonging requires evidence of the Spirit. That belonging requires that you actually have the Spirit. That's why he writes earlier in this chapter, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. For when the Spirit takes residence in you, it it means something for both your present and it means something for your future. Because when the spirit indwells inside of you, has taken residence in you, it means that the relationship you now have with sin and with God has changed. And so the beautiful thing about having the spirit reside in you is it, it means something about the nature of what it now looks like with your relationship with, to God. Brings me to my first point, which is simply this, children, should share their father's mannerisms. Children should share their father's mannerisms. Paul begins to say in verse 12, he says, so then brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh, meaning that there is no longer a requirement holding you to that relationship. There there has been a distinct 
and distinguish change between the way that you used to operate in your relationship with the flesh and how you operate now that you have the spirit. You don't owe the flesh anything. You, you don't have to respond to its commands. You don't have to uh, follow its rule or its leading. There's a distinct relationship change that has taken place where you no longer have to relate to the flesh like you used to. So Paul says one of the things that happens when you have the spirit is that there is a breaking, there is a freedom that has taken place, which Paul has been mentioning over and over again in these past few chapters. There's a freedom that you now have, now that you have the spirit of God, to be able to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. He says hey, that's one of the first ways, believer, that you begin to look like your daddy. You begin to take on his character and, 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 and his mannerisms as, as you begin to Walk in the reality of the fact that you're free. Your, your life is not mired and held onto by the constraints of sin that used to hold you. There is a, there's a quiet confidence, a, a humble swag, so to speak, that you can walk with because you have the Spirit of God in you. He doesn't stop there, though. He says, he says that those who are obligated to the flesh live according to the flesh, and, and if you do that, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the flesh, he says, then you will live. Now, I, I, I like how Paul here starts with this idea of by the spirit, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, that those things that, that we are responsible for putting to death has to be done by the spirit. It, it means that, that, that you can't do this in your own strength. It means that you can't do this in your own wisdom. It means that you, you can't muster up enough energy to, to kill and, and destroy and put to death those things in your life that you need to sever your relationship from. They can only be done by the Spirit. But, but you want to know how I know that we, we oftentimes, most times, operate in trying to put to death the deeds of the body in our own strength? It's because we rely a whole lot on accountability groups. We, we, we rely a whole lot on putting people in positions that almost scare us from engaging in the sin that we want to engage in because we'll have to answer to them. Yeah. But the truth is, in the moment, when you want to sin, can we keep it a bean? Can we keep it a hundred? When, 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 when you want to sin, you're not thinking about who you're going to have to answer to. When it comes time for you to make the decision of sin, you could care less about who you're responsible to give an, give an account to in your accountability group. It's the same thing with how we set up boundaries. You know, we use websites to control at blocking our ability to get to certain places, to see certain things. But what happens when a boundary is removed and you continue to go right back to that thing? You know what that identifies? That nothing has changed in your heart. The only thing that has kept you from sin is the obstacles that you've created, but nothing in your heart has actually changed towards that sin or towards God. And he says here, he says, he says, no, you can't operate by putting to death those deeds of the body in your own flesh, you're not strong enough. You're not godly enough. You're not wise enough. Those are things that can only be done by the Spirit. So he says, he says so Jesus himself even uses very vivid, vivid language about what it looks like to put to death the deeds of the body. He said, man, when it comes to removing sin, you got to be ready to cut off some hands and feet and, and pluck, out some, pluck out some eyes. Now, now, what Jesus is, Jesus is not talking about self-mutilation here, but what he's saying is that we have to be willing to take the most extreme measures to remove sin from our life. He said, if, if sin is the problem, then remove the hand. If the hand is causing you to sin and that's the problem, remove it. 
He said, but how, how willing are we Christians to actually get rid of the very things that is causing us to sin? Or have we become so comfortable in our dysfunction? Have we become so comfortable in our sin because even though we know it's sin, there's a, there's a level of comfort and peace that we find when we run there. Amen. He says, no, Jesus is saying here to us, which Paul is communicating when he says to put to death those deeds of the flesh or those deeds of the body, is that we have to be willing to take the most extreme measures possible to remove sin from our lives. So he says, he says what, well, what are the deeds of the body, Pastor Kurt? Well, I'm glad you asked. These, these deeds of the body are about are the deeds that we are about to do that are prompted by sin or lust or unrighteousness. But listen to me, the sin itself is deeper than the deeds. The deeds are only the fruit of what is born out of sin that has been made manifest in your life. The, the deeds are but the symptom, not the root cause. And so when, we, when the Bible says to get rid of or to put to death or to kill the deeds of the body, he's not just talking about the outward, what, the, what you see on the outside. He's, there is something else going on in your heart at the root that you need to sever ties with in order to take care of the issue of sin. That's why you can deal with, you can deal with the outworking of sin and, and still, or the outworking of the deed and still see the sin show up in another area of life. Because you haven't dealt with the root. You haven't dealt with the root. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 15, he says the, the things that proceed out of the mouth, th those are the things that, that defile the man. He says th those things that come from the heart. He says for out of the mouth come evil thoughts. Out of the heart come adulteries and fornications and false witness and, and slanders. Those are the things, those things which come out of the heart that defile the man, not the deeds. He says it's, it's, it's the matter of sin in our own hearts. He says, but how do we do this by the Spirit? How do we, how do we then kill or put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? Well, well Paul says, Paul says there's, there's this idea that Paul writes in, in Colossians chapter 3 where we have to put our things on the mind on, or we have to put our mind on the things above, the, the things where the spirit is and not on the things below. That means that we have to regularly be adding to our diet God's word and believing not only that his word is true and applying it to our lives in specific situations through obedience, but we also have to believe his promises so that when temptation comes, we can remember what God has said is true and we can discern the falsity of what the enemy and what our flesh wants us to believe and say, no, that's not what God's word says. God's word says this about this situation. God's word says that about that situation and be able to stand firm, rooted in his promises, believing that they are true. And he says, the, the other thing is, it's interesting that by the Spirit, one of, the, one of the, 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 the weapons of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6 is, he says that, that you've got to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice how the, the sword of the Spirit is the only weapon that's used for killing. He says that the, there, there, is a, there is a direct correlation between utilizing the word of God as a weapon to identify and eradicate sin in your life as you obey the spirit, walk by the spirit, and don't satisfy the desires of your flesh. There, there was an author who was talking about this topic and, and, and he said something uh, that, that I thought was very uh, poignant for this moment. He says, there is a mean streak to authentic self-control. 
Self-control is not for the timid. When we want to grow in it, not only do we nurture an exuberance for Jesus Christ, we also demand of ourselves a hatred for sin. The only possible attitude toward out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. There is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or the rustling of leaves and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs and you are ready to pull the trigger even after days of little to no sleep. War keeps us vigilant. What he's trying to communicate is that when it comes to removing sin from our lives, we have to take a disposition of let's make war against it. You can't, you can't approach removing your sin in timid fashion afraid and scared and passive and negligent no you have to you have to look at your sin as something to make war against something that you hate that you absolutely want to destroy that cannot be a part of your life the bible is telling us right now that we have to make war against it in order to look like god not only to children have their father's mannerisms But the beautiful thing about the indwelling work of the spirit is that children don't have to question where they belong. Look look what Paul says in in, in verse uh, 14. He says, for all of those who are led by the spirit of God are God's sons. And you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption. I uh, I love how Paul sort of makes this this, this pitting argument from slavery to adoption. From slavery to adoption. Where he's now making a distinctive um, effort to identify that, that both of them uh, are related to this idea of belonging. So for instance, Paul here is not necessarily arguing where we belong, but rather how we belong. Because both a slave and a child belong, but how they belong is different. There's a unique difference in how a slave belongs to their master and how a child belongs to their father. And Paul here is trying to get the, Romans, uh, the, the, the Roman Christians to understand that when you now possess the spirit of God in you, when he indwells upon you and takes residence in your life, the nature of the relationship that you had with God now changes. You went from enemy to child. That's why Paul can write in Ephesians chapter 2, but at one point in time, there was a point in time where you were far off. But now you've been brought near. And now that you've been brought near, you've been made a child. He makes the argument earlier in chapter 5 and says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can you imagine that? That the God of the universe would not only bring you near, draw you near, but he would actually make you a child? That, 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 that the work that he did of saving you while you were an enemy, God didn't wait for your consent to save you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, says, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Like God, 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 had, God knew and said, he said, they don't even know that they don't want me. And in order for them to see how far they were from me, I have to go and save them and bring them into my family just to show them that they actually wanted to be there when they didn't want to be there. So God had to go on your behalf and die on the cross, send his son to die on the cross for your sins in your place when you didn't want him to. So that you could experience the grace, mercy, and love that you didn't know you needed from him. He says, he says and, and in that spirit, guess what happens? We get to use intimate family language now with him. 
We, 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 get, to, we get to use the o- only the type of language that, that, that children of God can use. The only type of language that, that kids can use when they're talking to their dad. We get to say, Abba, Father. There, there's, there's intimacy there. There's intimacy there that comes because we are now his children. And he sees us differently than he saw us before because we're now in Christ and have his spirit. See, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't treat every kid like I treat my kids. Like, like, your kids might be good, they might be cool, they might be all right, I might care about them and stuff, but, but your, your kids don't get my money like my kids do. Your, your kids don't get the best of my time like my kids do. My, my kids get to sit on my knee and cry and I'll hold them and I'll be patient with them and I'll, I'll talk to them. I'm not going to be patient with your kids like I'm going to be patient with my kids. Right? But, but there's, you, you, know, you know why we can have that type of relationship? Because they're my kids. But I also expect, I also have a, a different set of expectations for what my kids look like, how they live, how they behave themselves in public, what they do when I'm not around. I have an expectation on my kids because they're my kids. So not only do we share an intimacy of relationship that non-kids don't get to have with me, but it also changes how they should live because now they're my children, they represent me. So there's a, there's a name that you now wear on your back that is not your name because you've been given a new name in Jesus Christ and the rest of the world is looking at you to see what they think about God based on what you do now. But we get to be children, to go from enemies to children. It's interesting, in, in the Roman world of the first century, an adopted son uh, was a son chosen deliberately by his adopted father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was not inferior in status to a son born biologically and might well enjoy the father's affections more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. It's a beautiful picture Paul is trying to paint for these Roman citizens who would have known what he was talking about, that adoption doesn't make them the redheaded stepchild. That being adopted into God's family puts you in a favored position. Which just brings me to my next point. Like children are placed in a favored position. Look with me at what, what he says. He says, he says that, that the spirit, God's spirit himself, testifies together with our spirit, meaning that the spirit of God that now dwells inside of us is regularly encouraging you and, and strengthening you from the inside, telling your spirit, listen, I know you feel like you're far from God now, but you still belong to him. I, I know you've been actively engaging in sin right now, but guess what? That sin is not enough to remove you from God's hand. You still belong to him. I, I, I know you want to do that thing over there. You don't feel like you've been growing, but listen, you still belong to him. I know you're on your deathbed and you're afraid of what will wait you on the other side, but but the spirit of God is just letting you know, listen, you can have confidence that because you have me, you will have Christ when your eyes open in the other world. He says there's the spirit is talking to your spirit, giving you confidence that you belong to him. Amen. He says, but but then he goes on. He says, he says, while that's the case, he said, if we are children, then we are heirs of God. We are heirs of God and heirs with Christ. Now, now the beautiful thing about that is that. An heir is somebody who has all the rights and privileges of their father's estate. So you are an heir of God. I I, I know that doesn't excite you, especially for the people that look like me, because we're not used to being left nothing. Usually when somebody dies, they leave us their debt. So I can understand why you're not excited. 
But, but this idea of an heir, like you not Oprah's heir. You not LeBron James' heir. Like all they can leave you is money. Like we're talking about an heir of the eternal God who spoke something out of nothing. We're, we're talking about a God who exists in eternity, who has earth as a footstool. We're talking about the, the, the God who breathed breath into man's nostrils and he became life. We're, we're talking about a, a God who, who raised Jesus from the dead, who saved your souls. It's like, like we're not talking about some materialistic idea of air. The Bible is telling you that as a child of God, what you have in store for you is all that God has. All that God has. Paul says later on in chapter 8 that when he gave us Jesus Christ, that he, he opened the storehouse of heaven, the vault of heaven, and already has given you the best that heaven has to offer in Christ Jesus. So I don't know how you don't sit here and get excited about the fact that everything God has is yours in Jesus Christ just because you're a child. But you're a child that didn't want to be a child. And God made you a child despite your, your worst self. Makes you a child and then gives you all of the rights and privileges of inheritance of all that he has. What an awesome God. What an awesome God is that? But, but what, listen, look, look, look what he says last. Look what he, look what he says last. He says, he says th- this is true. If we suffer with him so that we might be glorified with him. I, I don't know what happened in the Christian life where being a child and belonging to God was equated with not having to go through anything difficult. The, the early church knew that a part of discipleship meant suffering. That's why Jesus told his disciples regularly that you, need to, you better count the cross before you decide to, to follow me. Don't, don't just make a, a decision willy-nilly. You better know that this is going to cost you something. Like being a disciple means it's going to cost you some stuff. The world hate you. think the world hates you? They only hate you because they hated me. He's, you you, you, like, you, you want to be me? You, you want to come after me? He said, be ready to pick up your cross daily and die on it every single day. He says, be ready to go through difficulty after difficulty and count it all joy as you encounter various trials so that the testing of your faith might produce endurance and endurance, perseverance and faith and self-control. He said, there, there's, there's something about suffering that produces glory that you can't get without the suffering. Because glory comes after. Glory is the, the byproduct of a life of suffering that identifies with the suffering of Jesus Christ. And so there is glory. There's, there's glory to be had. But he said that glory comes through the road of suffering. He said so, so the, the, the child being, being in a favored position with God, being, being adopted and made a, a co-heir, that, that, guess what that comes with? That comes with a life of walking with God through suffering and trusting him by faith, trusting him but as you hope in the, 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 uh, the confirmation of his promises, he says, he says, this is what it's like to be a child. A child looks like God because he, he, he constantly has, has grown in rejecting sin and embracing righteousness. And, and, a, and a child knows that they belong with God and a child 
knows that they're in a favorite position. On that Maury show, on the Maury show, usually at the very, the very end, there's a tense moment right before they make the announcement. When the air is sucked out of the room and the silence is deafening, and both the mom and potential father are nerve-wrecked by what could be a life-changing announcement. But for you, as a believer, you don't have to wait to receive surety about whose you are. You don't have to hold on with bated breath for all the details to be worked out and all the paperwork to be signed. The pronouncement over your life has already been made. When it comes to the case of insert your name, whatever your name is, when it comes to that case of your name, God, you are the Father. Father, Father, we pray. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the assurance that we have as your children that we belong to you. We thank you for the precious Holy Spirit that resides in us if we know you, if we have been blood-bought and secured. God, we, we can stand in the promises of your word that tell us that we are heirs of God and heirs of Christ, that there is an inheritance awaiting us as we stand before you, as we are made a part of your family. And God, we say thank you. We say thank you for for saving us and for uh, 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 restoring us back into right relationship with yourself. It was something that we could not do on our own and didn't want to do it anyway. But God, you saw fit to extend uh, your grace and your mercy towards those who were undeserving so that we might experience the love, the grace, the mercy of an almighty God. And so, Father, we say thank you. Thank you for... Uh, uh, just all that you have done in Christ on our behalf that we receive the benefits of. And so God, help us to be the type of children that you are proud of as we live in the world. Help us to set a good example, to set the standard of what it looks like to be children of God so that when they see us, we actually reflect what you are like. And so God, we pray that you would strengthen us. Give us your grace, God. Continue to lavish your love upon us through the precious work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit that lives in us. Father, we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to invite our men to come as we prepare for communion. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you. We love you.